Well, we're continuing our, our theme this week of developing that cry that would, what well, we hope would govern our lives of give me Jesus. You know, that's that song kind of being the song of our heart as we walk with him, because really that's what life comes down to, isn't it? You know, as we're walking in this life, our, our whole purpose or our desire anyway is to encounter Jesus. And as we encounter him, we meet with him, we learn of him, and we're transformed by him. That's to be our all-encompassing desire in life. And I wanted to come back to the example, at least the person in the scripture we mentioned last week of King David. Um, you know, we kind of considered that his cry as a man after God's own heart was very similar to the, the song we brought out. Uh, and I wanted to look at another verse that David uh, proclaimed to us in one of his psalms uh, that flows with this kind of the similar theme. And so in Psalm 27 and verse 4, probably familiar. Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, behold the beauty of the Lord, and inquire in his temple. Now we're going to look at the circumstances of this psalm and, and what it was about in a, in a moment, but really this kind of encapsulates that same cry, right? is that David says one thing. I've desired just one thing, and Right? I mean, there's probably many things he would have liked. Um, we'll get to that in a moment. But only one thing occupied his mind and his heart as his main desire, and that was knowing God, it's experiencing him, following him. Nothing else came close. And so David is our example. And, you know, I was just kind of thinking, Sometimes you can look at these people in Scripture and it, they're kind of like, you know, we can kind of put them on a pedestal as like superheroes, right? Um, you know, superheroes, in one sense, like if you look at like the heroes from comic books and stuff, they're a picture of someone who's, that's something that's unobtainable, right? They're unobtainable. As much as I would like to be the Man of Steel, I'll never fly, all right? I'll never be able to, whatever else, you think, I'll shoot laser beams out of my eyes or, you know, that, that's a superhero. They do great things, but you can never attain to what they are. But the heroes of faith are different. Now, I'm not proclaiming we can do exactly the same things as Moses and Elijah and that, but yet I, I'm saying that God has declared we can walk in the same pathway of faith. We can be like them. We can do flow in that same spirit. In fact, we have an even greater opportunity because, you know, we have the fullness of the Holy Spirit because Christ has gone to his Father. You know, we, do, we can do what's in, impossible because Christ dwells within us. You know, Hebrews summarizes the lives of these saints in Scripture now let's read this little passage in Hebrews, the faith chapter, right? Hebrews 11. It says in verse 33, and, and 
you know, it talks about all the different examples. Then it kind of summarizes the rest. And, it, and this is that section. These heroes who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. These are not the superheroes of the comic books we can never be like. They're set forth as examples to follow in. Now, they, they were saints who did superhuman things, but through the power of God. And actually, the whole point of this magnificent chapter of Hebrews 11, it actually brings it down to something that's, that's actually quite powerful. It's showing us the acts of faith that these men and women did is all to show us that we can be like them, that we're called to follow in the same way. Because the very last verse in this chapter is verse 40. So Hebrews 11:40. let's read this together. It says, God having provided something better for us, and he's talking to the New Testament saints here, that they, meaning the Old Testament saints we're reading about, should not be made perfect apart from us. We're a part of the story. We're a continuation. We're called to walk in that same way and to do those same works and acts of faith as those heroes of faith. And so... You know, my point in all of this is that when we look at these Old Testament saints, you know, we, we shouldn't say, oh, that's David. Or that's, you know, fill in the blank of someone we admire in Scripture. Oh, I'll never be like them. Well, we might ne not do the same miracles because we all have different callings and ministries and so forth. But yet we can have the same relationship with God. And we can flow with the same faith, sometimes even in greater flow of faith because that's the opportunity we have as New Testament saints. And so we are a part of the story of faith. They are not made perfect apart from us because we're called to be like them and to walk on that same pathway. So we can look to people like King David and see what kind of heart he had that there was one thing he desired. And he walked with God in such a way so that he became known as a man after God's own heart. And we can know God in this same way. We can follow that example and have that single heart, that single desire for him and know God in the same way and have that same testimony set of us when we get to glory. Oh, look at that. Here's one that walked with me. They were after my own heart. Now, there's one thing we realize from Psalm 27. And we're kind of talking about this, this thought of having that desire, that focus, that call or that cry in our hearts for God. Is that in, in this psalm, God was working in David's heart to create this desire. God was doing something so that he would have one desire. This psalm, Psalm 27, was, it was a wilderness psalm. 
And we think it was probably written while he was running from Saul. You know, David did everything right. And then Saul said, well, what do you want now? You want the throne. And so he threw a javelin at him. David had to flee and, you know, he was off just basically hiding for his life because Saul was after him. But, you know, up to that point, so I just said, David had done everything right. There was no, no fault you can find in him, right? He had been faithful with his flock of sheep. He had been faithful as a warrior, protecting the sheep and then fighting against Goliath. I mean, what faith to have as a young man. He didn't come with sword or shield or spear, but he came in the name of the Lord with a slingshot. That's some faith. And then he was faithful to go in and out in, as a captain in Saul's army. And Saul appreciated it. The people appreciated it. He walked with God in a faithful way. He was even faithful to worship God. He, he was anointed on his instrument. And he worshiped God and he, God even used him to, to bring peace to Saul and drive away the evil spirits. But yet that jealousy drove David out of, the house, out of his house and, and Saul pursued him in the wilderness, seeking to end his life. And David's going from hiding place to hiding place. And it's like, you know, I mean, his life was on the edge of the precipice, you know, the edge of the knife. If he went too far one way, you know, his, the, his other enemies would get him. If he went too far that way, Saul would get him and people were reporting on him. I mean, it was that was an unpleasant time in David's life. And he didn't do anything to deserve it. Let's say that. Perhaps he qualified for it. But the context means a lot. If you just read Psalm 27.4, you would think of David. Maybe you'd picture him in, in a beautiful palace, maybe as an older saint, more mature saint. Right at, at peace, worshiping the Lord in the temple and saying, oh Lord, I have one desire just to, to worship you and to sit in your presence. You know, he experienced that later on in life, but at this moment, not so much. He was on the run, fearing for his life. And so that wasn't taking place at all. In fact, here's what it says in the previous verses. Psalm 27, 2. Lord, when the wicked rise against me, to eat my flesh. That's kind of what he felt like. He was being someone, they were trying to devour him. My enemies, my foes, you protected me. They stumbled and fell and I was protected. Though an enemy may encamp against me, and that was literally happening, right? The, Saul's army was encamping against him to try and find him. My heart will not fear. Though war may rise against me in this, will I be confident. And so when David was proclaiming these beautiful things about having one desire for God, one heart, you know, it was as his life was being pursued, as Saul was pursuing him and, you know, as he was, the wicked were seeking to devour him and camping in the desert, sending out scouting parties like, where is he now? Where's David? And going to, to talk to people, is David there? And so something we can understand was that God was taking David through a lot of troubles. Almost like an advanced and intense course in seeking God. 
God was focusing him. God was working in his heart so that there really was. Sometimes it's the desperation that causes our desire to be focused on God because everything else falls away. There wasn't really too much else that was important to David other than, Lord, help. Lord, meet with me. Lord, hide me in your presence and in the shadow of your tabernacle, the tabernacle in heaven. And so David found that one thing in God through desperation. He found great hope and peace in that because he knew that God was his one desire and being in that place and in that position was the safest place he could be, even though he was on the run. As it says in verse 5, Psalm 27, 5, it says, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, he will hide me. He'll set me up upon a rock. And so it was in the time of trouble that David was hidden in God, in the secret place of his tabernacle. And so sometimes God allows difficulties to come into our lives and we say, Lord, what is going on? What, you know, the enemy, why is the enemy even allowed one inch into my life? I've just tried to do what's right and be faithful. And it seems as if trouble is allowed in, sometimes like a flood. David do anything, he didn't do anything wrong. In fact, he'd done everything right as far as scripture tells us that he'd been walking with God. But God brought him to a new place where there was a single desire birthed in his heart. Another way that scripture kind of describes this this concept of the singleness, single desire, single heart, is in Song of Solomon 1 and verse 15. And this is a picture of Jesus as the bridegroom speaking to his his church or his, his bride. And it says, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. You have dove's eyes. And the significance of of saying someone has dove's eyes is, or at least from Scripture, is that, um, and from the naturals, that doves have what's called binocular vision in the sense that they can only focus on one thing at a time. Right? Their eyes don't work the same as as us. They're going to turn their head and you know focus on one thing, and if there's something else, they have to turn and just totally focus on that. But also that doves mate for life, and so in their relationship. They focus on one thing. And, and so Jesus is saying to his church, you have dove's eyes. You are just totally focused on me. You have one desire. Your cry is give me Jesus. You know, that's something that God greatly desires for us to have. In fact, his bride will be in that place. And if we want to fully flow with the bride of Christ, that becomes our cry as well. It's developed in us. Someone described this phrase, dove's eyes, as having undistracted devotion. I thought that was a good phrase. Undistracted devotion. Have you ever had distracted devotion? (laughs) 
you know, there's a lot of distractions, especially if, you know, if you're trying to read your Bible or, you know, and you're tempted to look at the news and you're tempted to, boy, I, I need a second cup of coffee or donut sounds good right about now. You know, all these distractions and we, you know, we, we multitask, right? But that's not very good when it comes to our relationship with God. But having dove's eyes, especially in the context of our walk with God, we need undistracted devotion. Kind of like Adam and Eve. When, they, when God set them up in the garden, they were in a place of relationship and devotion to God. God walked with them day by day. He was committed to just doing the will of God and you know, naming the animals and, and bringing order to God's creation. And it was a wonderful communion until they got distracted right? Uh, by what the serpent said. Because the serpent said, you know, you don't need God to be like him. You don't need to obey God to be like him. You can be like him on your own, doing your own will. And, you know, and, and so basically the, re- the reply is, oh, you mean I don't need God to have a good life or a pleasant life or so forth? And because that came, mankind has been distracted ever since of trying to live a good life without God. But God's purpose is to bring us back into that state of glory into that state of devotion that Adam and Eve experienced, that close fellowship where we know his voice in the garden of our heart and where we come to know his heart as we walk with him. That's our call. But those distractions, you know, we should often ask ourselves, is my eye on Jesus today? Is that where my eye is? Is that where my, my desire is? Uh, because the nature or our nature is so easily distracted, isn't it? We can, at least me, I can be distracted. My mom used to say, you know, I was homeschooled for a while. She used to say, boy, if, if a fly comes on the wall, I've lost him. <laughs> Sorry, mom, if you're watching. But, you know, that's some, a part of our nature, especially when it comes to God. We have to watch for those dist- distractions and and say, Lord, show me where my eye is not on you or if it's on something else. You know, even, even when we have that, there's that need to protect it, to keep it, preserve that state of having our eyes upon Jesus. You know, there's in Psalm 17 and verse 8, we actually get a phrase we use in the vernacular, but in Psalm 17, 8, it says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. You know, we, the apple of our eye, it's, it's precious to us. Um, you know, in our eye, like the first thing, our reflex, if something's coming at us, we protect our face, we protect our eye. You know, and so there, there's that, it carries over that our first thing should be protecting that precious devotion to God. So nothing gets in the way. There's no distraction in that. To protect God's ways for us as the apple of our eye. You know, that if we, and there's that sense, if we protect God's ways in our lives, in that same, he'll have that same devotion and protection for us. He'll be a pavilion for us 
when we protect His ways and his, our time with Him and our devotion to Him in that same way. So we want to guard the vision God has given us and sell all for the pearl of great price because it's precious. I just want to mention two other things concerning this, this thought of allowing God to, to focus our desire for Him. Now back in Psalm 27, in verse 4, we're just going to read this verse again. David said, One thing have I desired, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, behold the beauty, and inquire in his temple. So David said, I've desired one thing, that I may dwell. That I may dwell. Brings us back to that thought we considered um, last week where Paul said, I determined to not to know anything but Christ crucified. That was his determination. He determined to continue, and that's what makes the difference. That determination. David said, my desire is that I may dwell continually. And that you know, what will transform our life is when our cry becomes, give me Jesus, or give me that singleness of heart, that singleness of eye, so that I dwell, so that I remain and I abide in your tabernacle. In John 15 and verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches, he that abides in me, and I in him, the same shall bring forth much fruit, abundant fruit. When we're continually making God our place of abiding, our continual dwelling place, then we will be fruitful. We'll have an abundant fruit. And then one last part I want to bring out about this verse, Psalm 27, 4, right? It says we abide but then we behold his beauty and inquire in his temple. Right? We behold his beauty. Right? As we see him, we're changed and we're transformed in his presence. But we also ask and we receive guidance and direction and counsel in his presence. And this is really what that preserving factor, so to speak. We're preserved in life because, you know, it's not that we can just sit in a chair and put our feet up because we're in the pavilion of God and we just, we're just we just chilling out for the rest of our life there. In one sense, the pavilion is mobile because we're mobile. We're moving. We're going forward. We're making decisions. We, we either go left or right. You know, we, we're going on. And in that, we stay in that pavilion when we make right decisions when we seek God and we hear from him and we inquire in his temple and he shows us the way to go and it's the way of safety and we're preserved though 10,000 fall this way or that way, I'm preserved because I'm inquiring in his temple and he's speaking and leading. Another verse from John, John 15 and verse 16, you know, this was what the Lord spoke to them one of his last messages. And he said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you 
and ordained that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. We looked at being abundantly fruitful and that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, that he may give it to you. That's, that's really what it comes down to. He's chosen us to be fruitful and to ask and to receive of him. And so that part of abiding in Christ that's bearing much fruit and having that relationship with Christ where we can behold his beauty, but also inquire in his temple and receive from him. And then we walk in that way. And his promise to us, in fact, he said this at least four times in his parting message to the disciples. If you ask in my name or in the name of the Father, he will give it to us. And if that becomes our way of life, we'll become abundantly fruitful. Now, there's a difference between being blessed and being fruitful. There's a difference between being blessed and being fruitful. And I was just thinking of the two kind of patriarchs who walked in the same way, Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot. They both produced nations. They were both blessed by God and produced offspring and nations. You know, from Abraham came Israel, from Lot came uh, Moab and Ammon. But there was a difference, right? Because the seed of Abraham, we are the seed, because his seed became eternally fruitful. He produced the natural and the spiritual seed. We are his, the seed of Abraham. But it kind of comes back to the story of Abraham and Lot when they're herds started getting too big to dwell together because there wasn't enough water and they were fighting like who could get the water and whose flocks would would be taken care of first. And it was just getting too much. And and so Abraham said to Lot, Lot, you choose the best way. You look at the land and you make the choice what looks best to you. And then we'll separate. And we know that the story says Lot looked with his eyes And he chose what looked good, the well-watered plains of Sodom. That looks like a good place to take my flocks and herds. But what made the difference was what Abraham did. He said, Lord, basically, Lord, you choose for me. I'll let Lot choose and then you lead me where you want me to go. And in so doing... You know, he let Lot choose what the best way with his eyes, but Abraham became fruitful because he inquired of God and said, Lord, you choose the best way. Show me the way to go. And in doing so, Abraham received the promise and he was abundantly fruitful. Lot, you know, well, he had a lineage anyway. He, he kind of lost all of his flocks and herds, you know, because unfortunately he chose the place that sin abounded. And so the key is, you know, God brings blessing in life, but that doesn't matter anything if we're not fruitful in his kingdom, eternally fruitful. And the way that we're fruitful is having that one desire. Lord, I want to dwell in your presence. Give me Jesus. Lord, I've desired one thing. And we make that our cry, our single eye for him, and that it's an undistracted devotion. Lord, show me if there's anything else my eye is upon. And as our eye remains on him, we can make his presence our dwelling place 
we're beholding his beauty, we're transformed into his image, you know, line by line, precept by precept as he leads us. And then we receive our life and direction from him as we're inquiring in his temple. We go through a few things like David for our eyes to be focused. But as it says of the saints, it's to obtain a better resurrection, to be abundantly fruitful in his kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the example we see in David, Lord, and we recognize that you're calling us to walk in this same way and to have this same cry. Lord, we just pray that you would work afresh in us. Lord, even would you reveal, Lord, where maybe there's a, a dis, there's distractions in our devotion or where how we need to get more focused or Lord, would you even help us, Lord, if we're going through things that are actually helping us to focus our attention on you, Lord, help us to endure. Lord, help us to receive and to walk in your way. Give us those eyes of faith to see you. And Lord, we just pray, bring us into your presence. Oh, Lord, let our heart be set upon you. And Lord, that you would work within us. Lord, we want that to be our cry. Lord, speak to us afresh. Cause us to hear your voice. Cause us to behold you and to be transformed into your image, we pray. Lord, we just thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.